0: Uh, before I do my second Bible reading, I just want to wish all moms here a very happy Mother's Day. We'll be blessed with happiness for this special day. Right, uh, the second Bible is coming from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, on page 1224 from the Pew Bible. Okay. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ, In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the rich, riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you will mark in him, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Lord, for your precious words. Amen.
1: Thanks, Rose, for reading uh, that wonderful passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, particularly verses 13 and 14, which is uh, the basis of our text for this morning. So I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open uh, to uh, that chapter. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can have it read freely in this country and uh, have it explained. We thank you that we can enjoy the freedom in this land to meet like this in this building today. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us understand this word, apply it to our hearts and lives, that we will be strengthened as we leave this place, to know that we have been sealed uh, with, with the Holy Spirit. The seal of ownership of God is upon our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, um, have you ever lost something? Perhaps you've lost uh, a toy when you were a young uh, young person, I, I remember I had a, a little car that I used to you know that I collect cars uh, if you have any spare uh, matchbox cars just, uh, if you want to get rid of them, no, just send it around to me it 's fine um, and 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 one day I, I did lose uh, one of those cars and and really it was it really bothered me. I collected all my cars very well. I packed them all in neatly in in boxes. Uh, And in a sense, I regret not bringing uh, some of them to Australia. If you visited my home, uh, most of you would see a nice, beautiful pedal car there. Uh, That's my car. I used to ride that thing and it's beautiful. But anyway, one day I did lose uh, a car and it it really troubled me. And uh, I was quite concerned about it. I owned that car. It it had my, my seal on it, as it were. I played with it many times. And uh, I lost it, and one day, one of my friends, uh, he said, Oh, I found this car somewhere. Does this this belong to you? And I said, Yes, it does belong to me. Well, he said, How do I know that it belongs to you? Can you prove it to me? I said, Well, I did play with it. It is mine. Let me show you my other cars. Well, he believed me, and he gave it back to me. I owned it, and it was mine, and I received it back. And it was good. It's always good to find, uh, to, uh, if you've lost something, to have it returned back to you, right? It's, it's a good thing, it's yours. Well, friends, this morning, I want to speak to you today on this topic, the seal of ownership. Just think about it for a moment. You know, we are, as Christians, we believe that God has created us. And so you might say, well, in mankind in general, we all belong to God in one sense. Is there a special seal of ownership for people? What's the seal of ownership by the Holy Spirit? Don't I belong to God anyway in this overall scheme of things in God's plan for the world? Or perhaps you're an atheist this morning and you think, well, that doesn't come into my life. God has no part in my life. So the seal of ownership does not uh, play any role in my life. And that perhaps might be the case here this morning for you. But this today, I want to look at this passage to see how God, as in a tremendous way, kind of brought us back, and then sealed us and made his stamp over our lives and said, "You belong to me." Well, last Sunday we looked at the ascension of Jesus. We looked at uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Chapter 24, 50-53, that when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And the disciples, after the ascension of Jesus, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Jesus raised his hands, and he blessed them. And I emphasize the point that when he raised his hands, the disciples would have seen the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. That's what they would have seen. They would have seen those hands where the nails were driven through, and now Jesus raises those hands, and he blesses them. And then he was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were not despondent over the departure of Jesus. They returned with great joy, worshipping and praising God. And let me briefly highlight four benefits of his ascension into heaven. I highlighted some of them last week, but again today. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. So, the first thing that Jesus does, one of the blessings of the ascension is is intercession for us. What a comfort, what a joy to know that we have one who lived on this earth, one who experienced hurts, disappointments, rejections, and in the end was crucified. The one who knows us well is now in the presence of the Father. He was raised so that he might be taken to the presence of the Father and to intercede for us, to bring our case before God as an advocate, to plead the case before his Father. And he does that constantly before the throne. Secondly, we also see that by Jesus being, being taken up into heaven, he has complete authority Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross-corn in his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand is a position of power and authority and Jesus is now there. That authority is always stable. We look at the world and you, and perhaps you've asked the question yourself these past few weeks, where is God? Who is in control? You look at what's happening, for example, in Ukraine. You ask, what is happening there? You look at situations in the world. We look at our world leaders and we ask the the question, what what, what are you doing? (laughs) Are you in control? Do you have the authority to deal with troubled situations in this world? And perhaps at times we might be deeply frustrated as well. But there is one who is in complete authority. One who is exercising an authority at an executive level to rule over the entire world and the universe and over our lives as well. The third aspect of the ascension is the assurance that we have. Another benefit of the ascension is of Jesus is because he is in heaven, we have a sure pledge that he will take us to heaven. We are his people, he is our savior and he will be with his people. John chapter 14, 1 to 6. I'm going there to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might also be with me. (laughs) Right? So he's gone there to prepare a place. And that is heaven. When we die as Christians, our spirits go to be with Christ. Our bodies will be cremated or buried. Whatever might happen to our bodies, we know that. But our spirit is with Jesus. And one day when Christ returns, I've explained this in the past... That the spirit will somehow in a mysterious, amazing way be reunited to our bodies and we will receive a new and a glorious body. That's the promise. And then further friends, with Jesus going to heaven, there is something else. There's another, there's a promise that he gave and that promise is this. We have this promise given to us in, in in John chapter fourteen, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept it, accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you. So the question for us this morning is, who is this other helper? The original word that is used here is the same word that means advocate. That is, Christ is our first helper and and the Spirit is the other helper. The greatest gift that Jesus sent to his church was the Holy Spirit. And Jesus describes the Spirit as another comforter. And Jesus himself is our first comforter and the Spirit is another And if we are really involved in the battle in life, we know that we need all the comfort and reassurance we can get to face the challenges of life, don't we? There are times in our lives when we face discouragement, when we need encouragement, we need comfort. You know that word comfort comes from two Latin words, cum and forte, meaning with strength. And so the Holy Spirit is our comforter. One who consoles us in battle. One who gives us strength and power to be able to face the battles alongside in our lives. And Jesus says, I am sending you a helper, a comforter who will walk alongside with you. That's the word that is used One who would walk alongside with us. And the Holy Spirit, friends, came in all his fullness from the throne of glory at Pentecost. And we read that in Acts chapter 2. And so Jesus will come again and every eye will see him. But we are now not alone. We are not deprived of his presence because the Holy Spirit is with us. What a comfort that is to know that we are never, we sang that song, come on, never alone. You see, you don't have to be nobody's child. You are never alone. The spirit of comfort is with us. And I'm going to explain further on the role of the spirit specifically this morning as we look at our text here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 13 and 14. Where Paul brings out the work of the spirit by saying that the spirit does something and that is that he seals you. God seals you with his Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, let's look at this passage here. Paul says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says to them that they were also included, that is the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are part of God's plan of salvation. And how were they included? Look at verse 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation it's a message of truth. You see, we all want truth, don't we? (laughs) We want truth and integrity. We look for truth in our leaders. We look for truth in our politicians. We want them to speak the truth. And Paul is saying here, there is a message of truth that has come And this message of truth is the gospel. And the gospel, friends, is good news. That's what it is. You see, it is good news that kind of shines through and comes into a broken world and does something. You see, let me for a moment tell you something about the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city of wealth. It was the fourth or fifth largest city in the world during the time of Paul. And, as a cosmopolitan city, it had its own culture, it had its own sensuality, there was a kind of emperor worship, there was materialism, there was religious there were religious influences that that came upon the city and this city was a thriving, cosmopolitan city, uh, perhaps uh, i won 't say as livable as the city of Melbourne is, but Look at Melbourne City, a very vibrant, cosmopolitan city, right? We live in a great state. We live in a great state here in Victoria, the capital of sporting, the sporting capital in the world. It's all happening in Melbourne. But think about this city, and, and, and think about the city of Ephesus, But God, in this city that was kind of having all of these influences, that was driven by its own passion, God showed mercy to this city, and out of this city, he drew people unto himself, the Ephesian Christians. And so we should never give up on our cities. Are you praying for the city of Melbourne? Are you praying that we'll be able to reach this great city of Melbourne for Christ? Has God not raised people from Victoria, this great city of Melbourne that we live in, in, the, in, the suburbs of Melbourne? People unto himself, a vision for our cities. And God called the people from this city to be his own. Right here in Ephesians, the, the Ephesian church, the Ephesian Christians. And if you look at Ephesians chapter one uh, I'm not going into all the details here this morning. There are some significant themes, significant doctrines in Ephesians chapter 1. We see this whole process of God calling a people before the foundations of the world. And it is also apparent, friends, in Ephesians chapter 1, if you look at it carefully, my understanding Ephesians chapter 1, I read the chapter and I don't understand it, it is a Trinitarian chapter as well. You see, it has the work of the Father, it has the work of the Son... And it has the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can summarize it by saying, it is a Trinitarian chapter, because you see God at work, the Father, the Son is at work through in Jesus Christ, and you see the Holy Spirit is at work as well. And so when people say, we don't believe in the Trinity, well, show them Ephesians chapter 1. And you will see it there. The Father has called, the Son has redeemed, the Holy Spirit has sealed See, Father, Son, and Spirit is at work in the lives of God's people. And the efficient Christians needed to, need to be reminded of that as well. And so the Holy Spirit was at work. And the question for us this morning, very briefly, who is the Holy Spirit? Two words, Holy and Spirit. Right? The word holy means to be separated, the spirit means breath or wind, that's the original word that's been used there both in the Hebrew and in the, in the, in the Greek. It's a breath or wind and therefore the spirit could be called breath of God, perhaps a good title for a spirit. The word breath or wind is a very intense word and is a very powerful word as well. The, 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 the word that is used there, it's an intense, powerful wind or storm. Think about it, friends. On the day of Pentecost, what do we read in Acts chapter chapter 2? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is a powerful wind. Therefore, it is, it is a powerful energy that was at work. So, who is the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a force? May the force be with you. <laughs> or is the Holy Spirit a it? It is this. Or is the Holy Spirit more than that? Now the your witnesses or the Mormons don't believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. And you perhaps met your JWC would argue the case about, Trinity, about the Trinity. The argument is, their argument, as some others would say, it's the neuter sense of grammar that is used for, uh, for, the, for the Holy Spirit, as an it, and not a person. Therefore, the Spirit is nothing but a mode of force. But the Greek neuter can also be used as a masculine noun. And the Bible tells us that that's how it is being used here as well. For example, Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. Jesus was led, Luke chapter 1, Jesus was led by and fought temptation by the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 4. Jesus taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was empowered to heal to, empowered by the Spirit to heal. Luke chapter 5. And Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his public ministry. But not just that. You look at Genesis chapter 1. What do you see? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then you see something else. That the Spirit of God was hovering upon the face of the earth. So that was, he was involved in the creation as well. We see the work of the Holy Spirit in inspiring the scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. That the scriptures were God breathed. Inspired means God breathed. And it was the Holy Spirit who led the authors to write the Bible. The Holy Spirit moved the authors to write the scriptures. We won't have the Bible without the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament speaks of, for example, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't resist the Holy Spirit. And so, friends, this morning, we can clearly state that the Holy Spirit is a person. Right. He has personality. He has intelligence. He guides. He searches. He's part of the creation work of God. He, he looks at the hearts of people and the Holy Spirit is a person and not a It. Not a force. This is so important because I've had people come from this congregation and and say to me, uh, Chris, I've had uh, the people at my door and discussing and debating on the Holy Spirit. And we need to know who the Spirit is. (laughs) Okay? He's unique. He's part of the Trinity. He is co-equal with the Father and Son. He is co-eternal with the Father and Son. He knows all that God knows and therefore he is God. This is both the majesty and the mystery of the Trinity. And Jesus in, said in the Great Commission, Go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, the Trinity at work. And now Paul says, this Spirit is a seal that God has given to us, look at verse 13 and verse 14. The gospel you believed, having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. Think about seals, for example. Think about it. Let me give you a couple of yeah, three examples. Well, we, we see Queen Esther. That she delivered the Jews when she was permitted to prepare a royal decree and seal it with the king's ring. Let me refer to, uh, to Esther. Right. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring that no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. So the seal. It symbolizes stability and security and authority and power. And no one is able to break that seal. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was told not to pray to God. He will be in trouble, but he prayed to God anyway. And look what happened to Daniel. He was thrown in the lion's den. We won't go into all the story this morning. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, they rolled a stone across the entrance. And having placed the stone, what did they do, friends? What did they do? They take a guard. Pilate said, go and make the tomb as secure as you can. So they took took a guard and put a, put in a seal on the stone and posted in the guard. The seal was there. The Roman seal. But something happened. Therefore, we know what happened to that seal. No earthly Person could have broken that Roman seal. If they did, that was it. But there was one who broke the seal completely and walked out of their grave. That's Jesus. Do you see that? <laughs> Signifying his authority and his power. A power that is beyond Rome. And Paul is saying here that your life has now been sealed. It is the seal of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that cannot be broken. That is, friends, when you were converted, or if you're not converted already by God and become a Christian, that is, when you are born again by the work of the Holy Spirit, God does something. God puts his ownership on you by his Holy Spirit in you, and God stamps. you is signatory upon you and says, you are mine. Wow! Did you see that? You see, we have, God created us in his image, we know that. We disobeyed God, we sinned against him, we turned our backs on him, but God did not leave us there. He sent his son into the world who bought us back by his blood. He paid the ransom for our sins. And when we believe in him. We are brought back. In Christ. And God does something. And he puts his seal of ownership. On your life. And he says. I have sealed you for eternity. You are mine. My prized possession. This God. This God. Who's made the heavens and the earth? This God who is beyond our human comprehension. No theologian can describe <laughs> the entire character of God. It is so beyond us. But this God has done something amazing where He takes a sinner from nowhere, a weak person lost in their sin, brings them to salvation. And puts his seal on their life and says, you are mine. How's that? Hi? I see a few smiles. here. I see you smiling. That's good. You can show your emotions. It doesn't matter about a Presbyterian church. You want to say amen, you can do that. It's fine. It's all right, dear friends. You see, you see this is what, what we see in the text here, isn't it? The seal is different from all other seals, friends. He has sealed you, therefore you are secure. And no one can touch or break that seal. The seal is the sign of our security. He seals every believer in the possession of, of, all, the, of all the blessings of redemption. And here lies the assurance of salvation and confidence. And I, friend, friends, I think of the suffering of God's people in many parts of the world. I think of the 230 odd girls that have been kidnapped in Nigeria from a predominantly Christian town. What a heartache it must be for those mothers. How, how how can they celebrate Mother's Day? You can't. I think of others going through persecution because they are Christians in many parts of the world. I read a tragic story this past week: a nine-year-old girl was gang-raped, a Christian girl, in a village. You see, this is the kind of stuff that's happening. And you see, where is our security, isn't it? Where is our security? Where is your security? You, you know that, that in this life, in this earthly life, nothing is secure. Nothing. Absolutely zilch. You know that. Our wealth can disappear with one crash in the stock market. Gone. Our health can be affected with one visit to the doctor. Be gone. Our earthly treasure can disappear in a flash. Uh, We were watching, uh, as a family, we were watching a documentary recently on sinkholes in the world. Did anyone see that documentary? Maybe you didn't this past uh, two weeks ago. Well, you know what a sinkhole does, where suddenly the earth disappears, gives way, and creates a massive hole in the ground. It was just frightening to see it happen. It was so sad to see people lose their houses, their properties. and, And some of them lost their lives. A matter of seconds. Gone. You see, nothing is secure. But there is one to whom we can turn to, who is always constant, who always gives us an eternal security. And that is, that, that person is what the Bible calls, who the Bible calls God in Jesus Christ. See, you have to come to terms with this Jesus. You need to work out what does Jesus mean to you. you see, how, how does Jesus affect your life? Do you find your security in him? Are you stable in Him? See, See, we are never alone because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our helper, our shield, our defender. He indwells us and and gives us hope and confidence for living. For the Christian, even though we face tragedies and, and loss, we know one thing is for sure, no one can touch our souls. Our souls are secure in Christ. But not only that, friends, not only our souls are secure in Christ, as I was thinking and reflecting upon this this past week, it's not just our souls, it's also our bodies are secure in Christ. Right? Let me explain it for you. You might say, well, Chris, that can't be. I get old, I'm weak, I'm getting aches and pains and hospital visits and specialist visits. Everything's happening. How is my body secure? (laughs) I'll tell you this. Philippians 3:21. God will transform our lowly, our citizenship is in, where is it? It's in heaven. And when he appears, he will transform our lowly bodies, so it will be like his. See, it's just the soul is secure in Christ, and the body is secure in Christ as well. That his body will be reunited with the soul, and we receive a glorious new body. How secure is that, friends? No one can underwrite that, can they? No insurance company can give you that guarantee. It's God's word that gives us that guarantee this morning. Our security comes in Him. And it gives me great joy, friends. You see, sometimes in life, and in ministry as well, I'm just sharing. There are moments that you go through your ups and downs, and all pastors and ministers know that. You might have a bad week, but you still have to rock up on Sunday and stand up here and deliver a message and I'll come here and pretend that everything is fine. <laughs> there are many times that I have prayed, Lord. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I feel. Your people are precious to you, and I have an opportunity to share this precious word with your people. I am not part of the equation, God. <laughs> Put me outside. Put me. Bring me down into my knees so that I can lead your people. It's about you. It's about them. It's not about me. You see what I mean? <laughs> and God gives strength. To do that. See, because we're sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is our shield, is our guardian, is, 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 we are sealed with the living God. The Spirit keeps us personally. What a comfort, what a wonderful assurance. What a great joy. And Paul says this, "So it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is a deposit, a down payment. Just like when you sign a contract to buy a house, you pay your down payment and you wait for settlement date, right? And on settlement date, you finalize the deal and the property is all yours and you'll be smiling and you'll be going into your house and celebrating. But the down payment is being made beforehand. Securing the property. Now God has secured you the final down payment. Everything will be made complete on the day of redemption when Christ returns. And what is now ours partially will be totally ours in Christ. Inheritance kept in heaven never to be spoiled. What a joy is that. (laughs) Do you see that? Do you see the blessing here? Friends, do you see the blessing? His pledge will, will not falter. It will not be in default mode. God is with us. We are in Christ. We belong to the day. We are God's prized possession. We are His. We wait for the full redemption. As we saw in Romans. Until Christ comes. We belong to the day. But then, we have a challenge as well. To take this gospel to those outside. And I pray that God will give you the power of his spirit. I'll touch on that next week on uh, Acts chapter 2. The power to be a witness for Jesus in this world. So friends, as we close, praise be to, uh, Paul says here, uh, to him be that glory, isn't it? To the praise of his glory. I trust that this morning, as you and I leave this place, where we'll go out saying, to the praise of his glory. That God has called me. He has redeemed me. He has loved me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has sealed me for eternity. And is at work in my life. Oh, wow. How good is that? How good is our God? Do you know this Jesus this morning? If you don't know him, please come and talk to one of us. We'd like to share the gospel with you. If you want special prayer this morning for something... I'll ask a couple of elders to be here, and their wives. Come down, we'll pray for you. And may God encourage our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that